Matthew 6, verses 19 through 23. Our Lord Jesus says this, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body, so if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? You may be seated. Father in heaven, we come to you in prayer again this morning recognizing that in us there is, there is no wisdom, there is no intelligence, there is no good thought outside of Jesus Christ. And we thank you this morning that you have given us wisdom in Jesus Christ. We thank you that because of a risen Savior, we can read your word with joy and hope and expectation and not fearful condemnation. Pray that you would give us understanding as we look to your word. In Christ's name, amen. Well, together as a church, we have been studying Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. And this week, we have arrived at this sort of transition point in the sermon. Jesus for the last couple chapters has been teaching us about what, what worship looks like, especially in chapter 6. What it looks like, especially when someone has been made new in Christ. And now he begins to transition from worship to this subject of how the Father provides for us. But right here, in between that talk on worship and in between a talk on fatherly care, right in the middle of that is this question of whether our lives are oriented towards heaven or whether they are oriented towards the world and things of the world. When you're thinking about a text like this, if you're, if you're like me, you begin to see things through the lens of the text. So as, as, a, as a preacher... I begin to study a text early in the week, and then everything else seems to be related to that somehow as you're going through the week. And there are three things this week that, that sort of just jumped out to me uh, that seemed really relevant to this text. Um, the first was, was Monday night when my family and I watched the movie Free Solo. I don't know if you've seen that. This is the story of Alex Honnold. He's a, he's a 33-year-old free solo rock climber. That means he climbs... Enormous rock faces with no ropes, no help, no parachute or anything like that. And his life ambition from around the time he started climbing was to, to climb El Capitan in, in Yosemite. This is a big rock face, if you've seen it. 3,200 feet straight up off the ground, sheer granite. If he falls, he dies, right? Only he doesn't die, spoiler alert. He makes it all the way to the top, and that's it. That's the end of the movie. 33 years old, and he's accomplished everything he's ever wanted in life. He's captured his, his greatest treasure. 
And what does he have to show for it? A National Geographic documentary. He's, he's famous in the climbing world, at least. He's got some sponsorships. He's got a new house. But his life pursuit, his, his greatest treasure, was captured. And his, his satisfaction with that accomplishment, it will only last so long, won't it? Soon there will be another mountain. There will be another challenge, another rock to climb. And soon there will be another climber who's better than he is. Who's, who's willing to take more risks than Alex. And this young man will be forgotten. The second earthly treasure I noticed this week is a lot more depressing. So just bear yourself. <laughs> Many of us have seen this picture. All right, So you're driving through your neighborhood and out in the front yard of one of your neighbors is a 35-year-old bay boat and it's for sale and the, the paint is sun faded it's cracking and peeling off the prop is rusty it looks like it can't possibly turn anymore the awning is torn the seats are cracked and they're rotten and you're just just curious how much is he selling it for right so you're curious based on the tag it's apparent that this owner the guy selling the boat thinks that there's a lot of value left in this piece of garbage. And he thinks it should be as valuable to you and me as it was to him at some point in his life, in the past. Right? He took out a loan to pay for it. There's interest that he paid on that loan that he's, he's never getting back. He put it in the water for three years straight at least five times a year. And he made memories with his family. This is immensely valuable to him but now his kids are grown up they don't want anything to do with this broken down boat his wife left him years ago the boat sits in the front yard with a price that does not really represent its market value rather its price represents the memories of this seller broken down overpriced boats are probably the best illustration of earthly treasures aren't they the third event a lot of us saw this week was the destruction of the Notre Dame Cathedral in Paris. Here's this. 800-year-old work of art. A massive monument that has stood through, think about it, the Black Plague, the, the Protestant Reformation, the birth of the Baptists, countless wars, but it, it couldn't stand up to a spark in the wrong place at the wrong time. And the world watched as it just burned live on television. And there was nothing anybody could do to, to save it. All they could do was limit the destruction. Each of these were, were earthly treasures, weren't they? They were more valuable, some more valuable than others, obviously, but all of them are prone to destruction. Earthly goals are just that, earthly. There's no eternal value in climbing a rock. Sisyphus could tell you that. There's only another rock to climb, another boulder to push up the hill. There's no eternal value. There's yourself in a boat. Okay? It will rust, it will corrode, and it will break down. So wives whose husbands are thinking about buying a boat this weekend, you're welcome. <laughs> It will not retain its value. 
There is no eternal value in a building, not even a church building. It's still just a building. It's made of earthly stuff. It's a big, beautiful, dramatic building, a monument to to human ingenuity and power and ability, but with every fire, with every earthquake, with every hurricane or flood, we are reminded of the limits of human ingenuity and power and intelligence, aren't we? We cannot outbuild the earthliness of the earth. And we cannot outwork our own earthiness. Treasures on earth are essentially anything temporal. Anything that can be destroyed by a combination of time and something else. Whether that be time and fire, or time and water, or time and termites, time and corrosion, time and disease, or time and, and sin. Everything earthly is susceptible to decay. Everything. We, we kind of get that. We understand as people that stuff is prone to decay. We know that. We sometimes have to be reminded of that truth, but deep down, we know about it when we take the time to think about it, right? Every TV show that we invest countless hours watching will be replaced by the next better TV show or the next popular show that the people at the water cooler are talking about. Every, every new fashion will be replaced by a newer fashion. Every pop culture belief eventually becomes passe as as progress marches on. The things of earth, the things that come from the earth, will eventually all see their own destruction, some quicker than others. Read Ecclesiastes. You just really want to wallow in this truth. (laughs) Yeah. And, And if, like many people believe, the things of earth are all there is, well, we just say... We'd come up with our own philosophy and say, well, treasure the things that at least last more than other things. Right? So on a comparison of the things that crumble quickly and the things that are lasting, our secular philosophy, our worldly philosophy is to say, treasure the ones that last longer. So we would treasure people. And we would treasure memories. And we would try to set for ourselves a legacy that would be remembered when we're gone by other people. But that's only true if earthly things are all there is. That's as good as it gets if earthly things are all that there is. But what if there's more? What if there's more to reality than just earthly things and earthly stuff and earthly ideas? We know there's more to reality than fame and fortune and life goals and stuff. But what if there's even more to this life than family and friends? What if there is a treasure worth treasuring that will never fade, that will never be forgotten, that will never corrupt, that will never die? Well, Jesus says there is. And that's, in fact, what this whole passage is about. 
Look at verse 20 with me from our text this morning. Jesus, our Savior, who is risen and is now in heaven, says, lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. I think we get at least a big part of this. We understand this. This does not take a lot of spiritual insight to understand what spiritual or what uh, earthly treasures are. And we know what it means to treasure those things. We understand that too. In verse 21, Jesus says, where your treasure is, there your heart is. We understand that. We know that that means our heart's desires, our greatest joys are in those treasures. The things that we cherish. We love those things. We pursue them above anything and everything else. But what does Jesus mean by storing or by laying up treasures in heaven? And and, and as our minds are turning right now, we're thinking, some of us are kind of coming up with our own ideas. I I want to challenge you. Treasures in heaven doesn't mean whatever we want it to mean. Scripture is not, and be clear here, especially if you're visiting with us, if you've been with us regularly, you know this, but if you're visiting with us, you need to understand that Scripture is not interpreted based on our desires or based on our own experiences. We don't get to simply say, this is important to me, therefore it is a heavenly treasure. That's too subjective. And the Bible is not subjective. The Bible is not open to our own interpretation. It's not a wax nose that can be pointed in whatever direction we want. There, there's truth here. Jesus had a, a meaning in what he said. And he meant it. So what does it mean to lay up treasures in heaven. Well, he's given us some clues earlier in the text. When he talked about giving and praying and fasting, this is what we've been studying the past few weeks, it was all to be done in the presence of our Father who is in heaven. Not to be seen by others on earth was his encouragement, his admonition to us. Not to get recognition from people who are here on earth. Not even to make ourselves feel better. We don't, we don't do those things for ourselves or for others. We do them to, to, to be seen by the Father. Because He's our Father and we, we love Him and he has, he has saved us. So we take joy in praying and fasting and giving in the presence of the Father. Already in chapter 6, Jesus has been giving us this contrast a little bit between treasures on earth and treasures in heaven. Receiving praise on earth versus receiving praise or uh, commendation in heaven. Laying up treasures in heaven from the Sermon on the Mount is this. It is living life in such a way that our focus, our reward, our hope is in the things we cannot see. Things that are in heaven. And really, if we're just looking at Matthew, that's all we can take from this text. But I want you to picture something 
Here we are. Remember that the setting here. This is the Sermon on the Mount. That means Jesus is on a hillside and his disciples are gathered there with him. Think about his disciples. One of them, his name is, is Peter. You might be familiar with that name. Many of us have heard of Peter, the apostle. He's the guy known for putting his foot in his mouth all the time. But he's also known as the church's first preacher. Well, after hearing Jesus deliver this message, this Sermon on the Mount that we're studying right now, Peter will spend another three years hearing these teachings of Jesus. And he'll see him crucified. And he'll see him buried. And he'll see him resurrected on Easter morning. And he'll see him ascend into heaven 40 days after that. And then Peter will be there in Jerusalem when the Holy Spirit descends upon all of the the apostles and and the disciples who are following Christ. And that Spirit, our Holy Spirit, he will give understanding to Peter of everything that Jesus has been teaching for these last few years. And the Spirit will give him wisdom and give him boldness to preach the good news to others. And at some point in his life, this Peter, the one who was scared for his life on Thursday before Easter, began to understand that this treasure that Jesus is talking about, this treasure in heaven, is really central to the Christian life. And he will see that treasure as giving, worth giving up his own life for. Peter, I think we'd all agree then, is qualified to tell us what Jesus means by treasures in heaven. So let me share with you how Peter addresses this issue. 1 Peter, chapter 1, verses 3 through 5. This is what our Lord's disciple has written for us. He says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he's caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. So we're going to take a couple minutes and just break this down, because this is rich. Peter tells us that God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ is to be Blessed. That means we praise him. When we sing, How great thou art, we are singing, Blessed is our Father in heaven. And, and we praise him because he's done something. Well, what has he done? Well, keep going. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again. Okay, so, so born again. We know that language a little bit. That's another word for becoming a Christian. And Peter says, the Father is the cause of that. But we're not just born again the same way that we were born the first time. Look what he says. We were caused by the Father to be born again to something, to a living hope. What's that? What is hope? Hope is what you set your sights on, what you're looking forward to. When you hope for something, your, your mind is consumed with thoughts about that thing, whatever it is. 
So if you're a kid whose dad is in the military and he's, he's off fighting in a war on the other side of the world, your hope is in his return. You look forward to your dad's return. Every morning you wake up and your first thought is, I hope dad's okay and I hope he comes back. To hope for something is to let your heart be set on it. This ties to our text, doesn't it? Where your treasure is, there your heart will be. So we're born again to a living hope. Well, what is a living hope? It's the difference between a regular hope and a living hope. I think the right, the right question is instead, who is our living hope? Look at the text. He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through, these prepositions are so important, through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. So so today, Easter Sunday, Resurrection Sunday, we celebrate Jesus Christ's real and actual historical resurrection from the dead. It's not a metaphor. It's not symbolism. It's real. He was crucified. He was killed by the hands of lawless men, but God ordained it out of his love for us. He sovereignly oversaw that murder. And what man meant for evil, God meant for good. Jesus was crucified as an atonement for our sin, and there would have been no hope. Nothing good would have come of that. If on the third day, Jesus Christ had not risen. But praise God, he rose. And when he rose, rose, he he proved that Friday counted for something. Now, because Christ has risen, we have hope. And it is a living hope because he lives. Our hope then is in Christ. He's our treasure. He's our champion. He is the one whom we are longing for to return. We're born again to a living hope, but we're also born again to look what Peter tells us in verse 4. We're born again to an inheritance. An inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. This is our treasure in heaven. This is it. This is our treasure in heaven. Let me show you how we get that. For one, this is an inheritance. What is an inheritance? It's something of great worth. It is stored up for us. It's a treasure, isn't it? And look at how Peter describes this treasure. It is imperishable. It is undefiled. It is unfading. As Jesus would say, this is a treasure that neither moth nor rust could destroy. This is a treasure that thieves cannot break in and steal because it's being guarded by God. We are born again to an inheritance that is a great treasure, something that our Father has kept for us, and where is He keeping it? In heaven. This is our treasure in heaven. So our hope is in the risen Christ who will one day bring with him this treasure that is being stored in heaven. Let me show you something else. Peter tells us more about this. This is a sure thing. There's there's no room for doubt here. This is a sure thing because of what Peter tells us in verse 5. This treasure, 
is being kept in heaven for those who are born again. And Peter says, these people, the born again, by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. It's going to be revealed in the last time when Christ returns. So God has caused us to be born again to a hope in Christ. He will bring with him when he returns that treasure that's stored up for us. And what is that treasure? Peter says, it's your salvation. It's our salvation. And God himself is guarding us through faith. That is, he's giving us a faith that is hoping in that forever treasure. You following Peter's logic? Y'all, this is what it means to be a Christian. There is no tighter summary than what Peter has just shown us in three verses. He's echoing what he learned listening to Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. And he's combining that with the reality that he knows of Christ's death on our behalf and Christ's resurrection on Easter morning to make it all count. And the miracle of the new birth that gives us the ability to hope in Christ. See what Peter's done for us? Now let's take that scriptural wisdom and import that back into our text in Matthew. This is all one book. All right, so we've just read ahead a little bit further along in the book so we can better understand what happened earlier in the book. Let's look at what Jesus tells us. He says, But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For there, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So our, our heart, our hope, our greatest love, our greatest joy and pleasure is to be found where? In Jesus Christ who is in heaven. And we know that's true. We know he's there because he was resurrected. He has defeated death. This isn't just a rumor. We have the witness of more than 500 people in the New Testament that point to this truth. Jesus Christ is the only one that this world has ever known that does not wither and fade away. He's the only one that is incorruptible. Because he is so everlasting, we put our hope in him. And we, we put our hope in what his, his defeat of death, his forever life, means for us. Now let's keep going with Jesus' words from Matthew. Now that we've got this understanding under our feet. So far Jesus has told us, don't store up treasures on earth because they will corrupt. And instead we should store up treasures in heaven because they won't corrupt. Right? So this is just an argument from reason. Jesus is just appealing to our common sense. If you're going to treasure something, treasure something worthwhile. Something that will last forever. Now he's going to shift his argument a little bit as we get to verse 22 and 33. He says, the eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, oh, how great is the darkness. 
See what he's doing here for us? He's comparing for us what a life looks like that is living to store up earthly treasures versus a life that is lived whose aim is in storing up heavenly treasure. You see that comparison? Jesus and his hearers gave a lot of power, a lot of weight to the human eye. To to them, it is the source of light into our bodies. It is the the, the window, the the hole in our face that brings light into the body. So it's also the source for needed information. It's your guide to life. So what you set your eyes on is what guides the rest of your body. You can see where this metaphor is going, I hope. If what we set our sights on is a good thing, if it's good, if it's whole, if it's healthy, he says, then then the body, our life, is lived in response to that goodness. So if our sights, our hope, our meaning, our life's purpose is in response to the reality of the risen Christ, then our whole body is filled, our whole life is filled with that truth. We live in response to that truth. We, We flourish in this life if that's our light, if that is where our eyes are set. But if our eye is bad, that is, is, if if our eyes are set on earthly things, our whole body will be full of darkness. And then Jesus uses this dramatic analogy. If the light in you is darkness, that is, if what guides your every step, if your lamp is dark, how much greater is the actual darkness? The darker darkness. If your light is darkness, how much darker is the darkness? In other words, if what you call good in you is actually wicked, how much worse is the bad? You see what he's doing? Now now follow Jesus with the picture that he's painting for us. Preachers learn how to give illustrations from Jesus. He's painted us an illustration, so let's let's work it out. If your mind, picture this, if your mind is an enormous room, a really big room, and it's filled with all of the things that are a part of your life, so your parents, your history, your, your children, your time, your Sunday mornings, your neighbors, good food, your church family, your work, your house, your hobbies, sports, the city that you live in, everything. If everything is in that room, everything that's ever been a part of your life, it's all sitting there, and at the front of that room is a window that is designed to bring light to everything else. Are you picturing that with me? All right, now, if you place any of those things from that room in front of the window, if you value, as Jesus would say, any of those things as your treasure, That means it's in front of the window. Everything else is shaded by that thing. Whatever it is. If it's your work, that shades how you think about your family. If your work is your treasure, then your family is shaded by your work. If it's your family by the window, that shades how you think about church. If it's your hobbies then that shades how you think about your children. You see what's happening? Jesus is not just 
not just really smart. He understands life better than the rest of us. Everything in your life is affected by whatever it is you are treasuring. And if what you're treasuring isn't Jesus Christ, then whatever it is, is darkness. And then your entire life is is lit up by darkness. But if Jesus Christ is the light of that room, way out in the distance, outside the room, if the risen Christ, the only true light, is the light that lights up everything in that room through that one window, then everything becomes more clear, doesn't it? If Christ is the light, you understand better why God has placed you in the job that you're in. You understand better why God has put you in the neighborhood you live in. You understand better how to think about marriage and how to raise your kids and use your money and think about politics and entertainment. Everything is impacted. Everything is given its true shape and color and value because of the true light. If you treasure the risen Christ above all else, then all of the other gifts that God has given you show their true beauty. It is only in his unimpeded, unobstructed light that the value of everything earthly gets put in its proper place. So if your life is lived in the reality, in the light of Jesus Christ's resurrection, then your life is lived in a hope of a future that you cannot get anywhere else. And that hope will affect absolutely everything. Everything. Folks, Christianity, listen. Christianity is not simply believing that Jesus Christ rose from the dead. It's not just that. That's like saying, I know there's a light out there somewhere. Christianity, following Christ, being a disciple of Christ, is living like Christ's death and resurrection are the reason that you live. Christianity is letting that one and only true, brightest light of all be the light that shapes your every waking moment. And this morning, on the morning when, when we celebrate the eternal hope we have because of our risen Christ, let's together let our heavenly treasure be our everything. Can we? Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for our Savior. 